You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through our Christmas Advent series. I've personally had a great time in this series, learning myself. It's like a little mini theology class I'm, I'm teaching over, over here. You know what I'm saying? It's been so good. It's this incredible doctrine. The virgin birth is what we've been looking at. And um, man, it's, it's really, really important as far as our faith goes. Now, let's start with this because we've started, we've really built on blocks. Let's start with the definition of more of what we call the, the virginal conception of Jesus. It's by this guy, Brandon Crow. There are obviously many dif- different definitions. He is a scholar. He wrote a great article in the... Um, I think it's Westminster Theological Seminary on their website and then also in the Gospel Coalition. He defines the virgin birth as this, that Jesus Christ was born apart from the normal process of procreation, but was supernaturally conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of her without sin. It's a heavy theological big statement here, but it's all over in the Christmas story. And what we've been doing is really looking at that because there are great implications of this truth, this doctrine, right, that we actually study and believe and understand. The first week we looked at the power of God. Luke chapter 1 talks about how there is nothing impossible with God, that God is able to work in the supernatural, in the mysterious, in these ways that that are outside of our ways, that he does things that are supernatural and we need to trust him because he still works wonders to this day. You talk about prayer and power of prayer. It's amazing that you can talk to God and all of heaven moves. I mean, just think about we walk in the supernatural. We go to God and he saves us and gives us eternal life. That's a spiritual thing. He makes us born again spiritually. God is a powerful God, and we see that demonstrated through the doctrine of the virgin birth. But then last week, we also saw through Matthew's gospel the plan of God, how God is so strategic and intentional, and how he displays his wisdom in how he does things, even though the Bible says his ways are what? Higher than our ways. But we're, 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 learned to, we're told to trust him, to learn to trust his ways, because when he displays the supernatural power, something that's outside of our normal means, we have to trust him that he knows what he's doing. That Joseph may not even have known the great implications and prophecy foretold and all this different stuff, but what ended up happening is Joseph and Mary, what they obeyed. And we are so blessed when we just obey the word of God. Again, doctrine, truth, sound doctrine. We could bank our lives on the word of God and what he says. Now this week... I'm going to take a different approach, different gospel. You know, all gospels have different approaches, different things they're coming after. John's gospel is trying to get you to believe and really focuses on the deity of God. And we're going to look at John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, read it, and I'm calling this message the person of God. Now, I did not necessarily mean to have all these messages start with a P, but you're welcome, okay? I don't normally do that, but I'm like, look at that. I didn't even... As you study the text, each chapter, it's just come out. So we've looked at the power of God, the plan of God. Tonight is the person of God through this powerful doctrine of the virgin birth and how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the power of God, fully God, fully man. We're going to get into it and the implications of that as we study John's gospel and his account of Jesus coming. John chapter 1, let's read it together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. Speaking of the word, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, well, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray and let's get into the text. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Again, for this beautiful doctrine and for how it reveals who you are. I pray, God, that we would understand who you are more and more each day as we go to your word, as we study who you are through scripture and it points us to Jesus. Jesus, we thank you so much for being this word, for tabernacling, dwelling among us. And God, we know that this, there's this important concept and these theological truths, but would you have it land in our hearts? Make it applicable to our lives. Holy Spirit, exalt Jesus and empower us to live for him today. We thank you that you are a person, that you are real, that you are God and you know everyone in this room, even listening online and whenever people listen to this message. So I just pray, God, that you would speak, anoint, come with power, land on good soil. Let us continue to be encouraged through the truth of your word that we're here to worship you. So we love you, we bless you, we thank you, and it's in your powerful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. The person of God. He's a person. And what I find interesting in John chapter 1 is it doesn't start with a cute baby. There's no angels. Did you notice that? No shepherds. There's no nativity scene in the gospel of John. And you have to ask yourself, especially how we've been going so hard in this Christmas story and carols and, and all these beginning of these gospels. What's up, John? Like, are you a hater of Christmas? You a Grinch? Well, where's your nativity scene? What's, what's going on? Why are you giving us these details and not the details like Luke and Matthew who mentioned, that mentioned the virgin birth? Well, throughout our series, we've been looking at not only the doctrine of what has been stated, right? How the virgin birth is real and Luke has been giving us details. Matthew's been giving us details of this. But we've also been teaching the why. Why is this important? What's, what's the implications of this? And this is exactly what John is doing to start his gospel. He's going straight with the why, the implications, the theology of the virgin birth. Now, I, I said this in both 
messages strategically and specifically so you don't miss it. It's that the virginal birth is the means by which the eternal Son of God became incarnate as fully human. The virgin birth tells us that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And this is exactly what John is saying in the start of his gospel. Remember, he wants you to believe in who God is, and so he's trying to reveal who God is. And so he doesn't start with the baby. He starts at the beginning. And there's this great correlation between him and even Genesis, because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he's like, well, the Word was in the beginning, and the Word was with God and was God. And by him, all things were made. And he's starting at humanity's start, with God right in the center of it, this Logos, living word. And this is exactly what John wants us to hear. Verses 1 through 5 say that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, man, was nothing, anything made at all. But in him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and darkness has overcome it, has not overcome it. The apostle starts his gospel by preaching about the important person and calls this person the word, Logos. Now, obviously, automatically, we're Jesus followers, so your mind should be racing right now about how this is describing Jesus, the Son of God. But in in case you don't have it in your mind, John actually goes on, and in verse 14 he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now we just studied uh, Exodus. That word is tabernacled. Shekinah glory came in bodily form, flesh. And we have seen what? His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father. We've been looking at terms like, what does the Son of God mean? The Son of Man mean? Full of grace and full of truth. You see, John is teaching us the implications of the virgin birth that God, Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and He tabernacled, dwelt among us. And this doctrine is known as the incarnation. The incarnation of Christ. It's a term by theologians that indicate that Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh and it affirms Jesus' humanity. Humanity. That God the Son, who existed before time and creation, actually came into time and into space through the person of Jesus as flesh and became a baby through the virgin birth. Now, a lot of our study has focused on the conception of Jesus right? The virgin birth, where the angel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive. Or Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, which talks about how the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, which is good and it's important to cover the deity of Jesus and the nature of Jesus. But we can't miss out on this fact of his humanity. And we can't miss the fact that Jesus, the person of Jesus, actually came to this earth as a baby. The story goes in Luke chapter 2, don't want to spoil it for you, there wasn't just prophecy about him coming. He followed through in the action. Luke chapter 2 verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son 
and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You see, the incarnation affirms and focuses on the humanity of Jesus. How he is God, yes, and yet he became a man. And I just want you to think about that. Imagine that. Because even last week when we talked about uh, the plan of God and uh, thinking about how glorious he is and gave you a lot of verses about the deity and the nature of Jesus, don't forget that he is fully God, but he is also fully man. Incarnation, that word literally means the act of being made flesh. And it actually got popular in the Middle Ages as the Latin Bible was the most of the exclusion and the commentary or the Latin way you say this is incarnation in John 1.14. It became the standard title of what people would know of this beautiful doctrine that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, as we looked at from Isaiah 7.14. Now there's a couple of councils or creeds that have come alongside church history to explain this to us because it's hard for our minds to wrap around this actual truth. There was a council in 451 AD and they affirmed uh, that Christ is the same perfect in divinity and perfect in humanity, the same truly God and truly man. We looked at the Apostles' Creed. There are other creeds that affirm this truth. And, and the um, uh, Nicene Creed says, For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. This is the central truth of Christianity. That the triune God of the Bible, who has existed and reigned from all eternity, that the second person of this Trinity, the Son, took on flesh at a particular point in time. God the Son added a sinless human nature to his eternal existence and his divine nature. So I think that we can probably give the Apostle John a little bit of break, right? He didn't mention the star of Bethlehem, but like he's probably getting the bigger picture over here. He's letting us see the big picture. He's not a hater of Christmas. He's trying to show you the magnitude of what is actually happening. Not that that, that God would even become a, a baby, but that he would even become a man, his own creation. Because without him, nothing exists. He is creator and we are not. And yet he would become creation. He would actually become a dependent baby leaning on his creation to even survive and become fragile and actually understand this. And he's highlighting this truth. This is important spiritual truth behind the virgin birth because the incarnation teaches us that Jesus became fully human by taking on flesh. And this is important for our faith as well. It's something that we don't actually like to elevate in the westernized church, but in the Eastern Orthodox church, they actually elevate a lot because it deals with suffering and sympathy. You see, a high priest could only be a high priest if he was a man. If you actually look at Leviticus, Exodus, when we talked about that, Jesus had to put on flesh to sympathize, to empathize, to be able to walk the path we have. And there is the humanity of Jesus that the Bible talks about, and God can now relate to you in this way. You see, Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says that he was conceived in the womb and was born a baby. But Luke 2, 40 says Jesus experienced normal aging like you and I. John chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus had normal physical needs. We read stories in the gospel, how he slept. He got tired. He ate, etc. He had a human body. Matthew 26, 38 tells us that Jesus had human emotion. Shortest Bible verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. 
pretty awesome, easy to memorize. But what does it show us? He had emotion. You ever have those emotional, weird, up and down roller coaster days? Have you ever thought that Jesus had those? That people didn't get the teachings of him? That he was tired and frustrated? He was hungry? He was upset? The Bible says, do not sin in your anger, but yet we see Jesus with a righteous anger. Jesus, in, in fact, in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, talks that he grew in stature, meaning he had to learn. You ever have a frustration time, students in school, you had to learn this thing or that thing, and you just got done with exams, it's like, oh, thank God. Jesus had to go through certain things that you had to go through. He submitted himself to the nature and the laws of having a physical body. So much so, Luke chapter 23, verse 46 says that Jesus died a physical death, shed his own blood. He was so stressful, his body sweated blood. And Luke 24, 39 tells us that Jesus actually was raised from the dead with a physical body. These are all important things that we'll get into the implications soon. But I just want you to see, yes, in our culture, especially with apologetics and people just claiming that God is not deity, we've sometimes overemphasized that doctrine or that taught thought. But I want you to just take a pause to think about how Jesus was man, how God limited himself. Can you even imagine omnipresent and now you're telling me I got to be somewhere at a specific place in a specific time? That's crazy. This doctrine is better known as the hyperstatic union. It's more of a popular phrase and coming up a lot in Christianity and teaching because it's the mystery of explaining that Jesus is fully God and fully man and making sure we don't miss or highlight either or but both. The doctrine of the hypostatic union is an attempt to explain that Jesus could both be man and God at the same time. And this is so hard for us in our finite mind to understand that Jesus before he was conceived as a baby and human, he always existed. Always. As Jesus himself would teach and John would highlight out of his Gospels. We looked at a couple of examples last week. Jesus, in John 6.38, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He acknowledges that he was a divine being coming down. You see, that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Every other religion tries to be good and have an experience, an enlightenment or a behavior to try to make and elevate yourself as a human to come to God. And Christianity says, it's grace. I'm going to come to you because you can't come to me. You're imperfect. You have sin. And so Jesus in John 8.58 would say, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Yahweh. They got pretty upset of it, tried to stone him. He snuck away. So then he taught a little bit more. John 10 30. Well, you know that I and the Father are one, teaching us about the Trinity, about his nature, his divine nature, because Joseph wasn't his father. He had a heavenly father. That was in his DNA, his nature. But yet he had an earthly mother. That was in his DNA. That was in his nature now. When Jesus was conceived, he became a human being in addition to being God. Fully God, fully man. It's sort of like children in their DNA and their parents. My children are fully 
have Laura's full DNA and my full DNA. It's not half God, half man. It's 100% man, 100% God coming together. And so why is this important, the humanity of Jesus? Why sometimes is it left out? Well, John says it's a, a salvation issue as well. So we looked at last week. Maybe I'll highlight it again again about the second Adam. Verse 12 through 13 says, But to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, this word, who believed in his name. Now, if you know anything about his name or you pray in Jesus' name, it's in his nature. Who, who believe in his nature of who he is and what he says and what he's taught. Well, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You could become spiritually alive and have your sins forgiven and get, instead of the imputation of sin from Adam, the imputation of righteousness from God and become now adopted and a child of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus came as a man so we can now have eternal life, redemption, forgiveness of our sins, not by the will of our flesh, the Bible says, or another word saying it is your own effort, but by the work of God and the person of God. You see, I, I wrote this down. The Son of God came in flesh in order to be the Savior of mankind. Galatians 4.4 tells us that he was born under the law to a woman under the law in order to redeem mankind. And this is why God the Father sent Jesus. Because all of us, humanity, have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect law, we were condemned for death, spiritually dead. But Christ came in the flesh under the law to fulfill the law. And when you start thinking about the humanity of Christ, you start thinking about crazy scriptures like Matthew 5, 17. I didn't, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. They're, they're holy. I came to be that holy one to what? Fulfill them. He was without sin nature and he did not sin. He was sinless. And God knew that he would be able to do something that we could never do, be perfect. You see, the law reveals to us the holiness and righteousness and person of God and only God can fulfill that perfectness. We saw that through Adam. But the Bible talks about how Jesus is a second Adam, creating a new humanity. And we talked about this a lot last week from Romans 5, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 47 through 49, it talks about this idea that the first Adam came and he wasn't good enough. But Jesus, the second Adam, came. You see, just as we not only sin and have a trespass, we actually are born into sin, inherit and imputed righteousness. All babies are born into sin. We have a sin nature and we sin deliberately. We are slaves to sin, humanity. And it seems unfair to us until you recognize and realize that we're also imputed God's righteousness through the cross of Christ. That he gives us his righteousness because the same law that causes us to be damned actually causes us to be saved. Listen to what Paul says again in a different passage about this. The first man, Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. But the second man, 
speaking of Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as the man of heaven, just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus having a human body is significant because it was only a human body that could die for sin. And this is why our perfect and righteous God took on a body to die. See, another doctrine or teaching of the Bible is that, the, that God is immutable. He's never changing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God cannot die. He can't. You realize that. We actually glory in that. He's creator. We are creation. He forms life. He gives life. With him, all things exist. But humans can. And so there had to be death for sin. So God had to take on flesh to die, to bleed, to be a sacrifice. In fact, Hebrews 9.22 tells us, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And this is why in the first tabernacle, the one we just studied in Exodus, the Levitical law, Exodus 17.11 talks, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. God was setting up a system to show you that there could be forgiveness, that there had to be life given, taken away. But God had to put on flesh to do this. For our sake, the eternal God took on flesh. God knew we couldn't be good enough, earn our own way, and we're imputed a sin nature. So God, the Son of God, who Luke 135 says is holy because of the virgin birth, took on flesh so it could be taken and given as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He came down from heaven and his throne and took on flesh. This is what the law and the sacrificial system was trying to teach us, that we all fall short of God's glory. But God, the Messiah, he would come and he would save. Another way to put it is Hebrews, is that running commentary, that sacrificial system. Hebrews 4, 5 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, meaning our works, but a body you have prepared for me. By God's grace, there was a specific time in history that Christ would come as a baby to have a body to accomplish something that we could not do. Because without the cross of Christ, no one could be saved. We would be doomed and damned. For it's only by his grace through faith. And without Jesus having a, baby, uh, having a body and becoming a baby, a man through the virgin birth, we would have no salvation, no redemption, and no hope. Hence, this is why it's a pretty important doctrine because it sort of dominoes and builds on all of these other doctrines that Jesus taught about. You see, because Jesus was fully God and fully man and he was sinless and perfect, even though he died, death could not hold him. Corinthians chapter 15, that chapter we wrote about the second Adam, but thanks be to God. He had victory. He died, but three days later he rose again. Death could not hold Jesus in the grave 
because he was not only fully human, but he was fully God. Just as we would die through the bloodline of Adam, now we can have eternal life through the bloodline of Jesus. Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up, speaking of Jesus, loosening the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. Jesus is returning in a physical body. And the Bible says when he returns, we will be made like him. He was risen. Thomas, touch my hands, touch my feet. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be made like him. You know, our hope and our glory, we get a resurrected body as well. Because now we are children of God, trusting in Jesus for our faith. And as he appears, we will be made like him and receive a physical resurrected body. Because Jesus was both the Son of God, Luke 135, and also the Son of Man. You know, that's a title from Daniel chapter 7. It's a messianic title, the Son of Man. And it's this title that Jesus, over and over again, actually calls himself the most in the Gospels. Mark especially. He, he always emphasizes how he's the Son of Man, how he's the sinless Savior, how he, he came on a mission. Mark chapter 10, verse 33 through 34, you may not know this, but Jesus knew the mission and he knew what was to come. He even prophesied about it. He told his disciples, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of God will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and they will spit on him and they will flog him and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus knew that death couldn't hold him. Matthew 20, 28 says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus went to the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And so the Apostle John is trying to have our minds wrapped around this teaching that the light shines that was before man, that man could even participate in, and John is a witness of this light, but he's not the light. There's something greater in him. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness, what? Is not overcome by it. There is victory in Jesus. So verse 6 through 8 tell us that Jesus is this great light and not John. And then read with me again in the context, verse 9 through 13. The true light which gives light to everyone has, was coming into the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Because the virgin birth and this hypostatic union, Christ could die as a man, the Son of Man, but he could be sinless and rise again as the Son of God. I came across this perspective of Jesus this week. Another pastor friend I was having lunch ran into Nicole, celebration for exams. Congratulations, all you students. Christmas break is real and it's upon us. Yes. 
She was getting her Chipotle and guy goes, oh, you're talking about the hyperstatic union. Bro, I got you. We started going into it theologically over lunch. It was amazing. It was incredible. And, uh, and he highlighted some things for me that I, I want to share with you. That Jesus was equally human and divine through the virgin birth. And he gave me this thing. He said it, his humanity was on his mother's side. And he fully experienced that. But his divinity was on his father's side. They were even stunned that he would pray and call God Father. Fully God, fully man. Son of man, son of God. You see, on his mother's side, he would get hungry and he would lack. But on his father's side, he would feed the multitude with a lunchable and have leftovers. On his mother's side, he would experience thirst. But at the great end of the feast in John 7, he would stand up on his father's side in the power and say, but I am the living water and I, you can come to me and you'll never thirst. On his mother's side, he would age and he would even be dependent as a baby. But on his father's side, he experienced he was eternal. He was self-sufficient. On his mother's side, he learned, the Bible says, obedience. But on his father's side, he knew all things. On his mother's side, he would say, I have no earthly possessions and I have nowhere to lay my head. But on his father's side, heaven was his throne and the earth was his footstool. On his mother's side, he died on the cross. But on his father's side, he rose victoriously from the grave, defeating death. Can you imagine the experience our Savior had becoming a man? It's nuts. It's crazy to think about that he was the son of man and the son of God. Now this leads us to a question even closing out our series. Why? Why would this heavenly divine God, Jesus Christ, come as a man? What does this teach us about the person of Jesus? And there are multiple many things. There are whole systematic theologies and books about this. But I'll just give you three points. That I th when I think about the virgin birth, I want, want to land sort of this series with. One is this. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. He cares for us. He didn't have to do that, man. You realize that? He was already God. Self-sufficient. He didn't need us. But he was compassionate and he wanted us. It was with a joy set before him. Praise God for his mercy and his compassion that he would come and save and take action and do this unimaginable thing to take on a human body and, and to save humanity from our greatest problem ever, sin and death. And this is important in a practical sense because I want us to understand we don't bother God. You don't bother God with all of your weakness with all of your problems, with all of your pain and your brokenness and your humanity, it is not a bother to him. He is compassionate and he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 says that he, we're told to cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. He already took on flesh. We can see the person of God and the heart of God. He was our high priest, Hebrews 4, 15 says, so he can sympathize with us. He knows what we're going through. 
He desires to give us His Spirit, John 16, 7. The Helper. To help us in our weakness. He became man to be our merciful and faithful high priest and is able to help even in our temptations. It's not a bother for you to cry out to God. He delights in you. He cares for you. He has compassion for you. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.11, He isn't ashamed to call you brother. Our God, the creator of all the universe, took on flesh, and He's not ashamed about that because it displays His heart. If you dig deeper, He's not only compassionate, but He's humble. There is a God that is so humble, so meek, it was the only time he ever explained who he was in Matthew chapter 11. I am lowly and gentle in heart. Meek is a controlled power. It's not like he had compassion and said, well, take care. Meekness is a controlled power where you actually utilize that power for other people. He withheld restraint. He could have just judged us immediately like he did the angels. The angels marvel at our salvation, but he is so humble. It's the most beautiful and forgotten attribute of God meaning he's not resentful or mad that he took on flesh. He looks at us, humanity, with a smile. Remember the, the Levitical high priest calling? May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. Zephaniah says he delights and dances over us. When we sing even this small church, the broken sound system being off tune, the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. He, he is not upset. He is, not, he is so humble. He did not have to prove himself to anyone. He didn't need us. He wanted us. So the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus because he doesn't condemn and he's not upset. He gladly shares his spiritual inheritance for Ephesians 1.3 says all spiritual inheritance are found in Christ Jesus. His righteousness covers us because he is okay with sharing his who he is, and his blessing to other people. He doesn't walk around puffed up, prideful, putting others down to be able to lift himself up. He's exalted because he submitted himself to the Father and understands who he is as the Son of God. He didn't need to prove himself to us, but displayed great power by coming as a human servant. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Philippians chapter 2 where it says, though he was in form of God, did not, caught a, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being born in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every heaven and uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can you imagine how much joy it brought Jesus to bring glory to God through submission and walking in humility? You know why Jesus is the name above all names? Because he was the highest being ever and he came as a lowly servant. No one can go more humble, more lower than what Jesus did. 
And because of that, no one can be more higher than him. Not you and not me. He didn't need to do this to prove that he was already God. He chose and humbled himself to do it to worship the Father. It's who he is. He forgives sin. He strengthens the weak. He covers us with grace. And it's in his righteousness that we need. For while we were sinners, Christ still died for us. Dig deeper. Well, why, you may ask, did he do this? Because Jesus is love. The triune God, the Son of God becoming flesh. He is God. He is divine. It's in his nature. Jesus loves us. The Bible says God is love. Jesus is love. Because Jesus is God. And this display, this manifestation of Jesus as he came through a virgin, took on flesh and died for our sin, John says, this is to show you this love. He wants you to know him as a person, to have relationship, to save you of your sins, to be brought with you that he says, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan, as a child, and you're just going to live by faith. No, I'm going to give you my spirit, the spirit of Christ, because sin separated. I'm going to take care of that, and now I'm going to let you enjoy me and build a relationship with me. I love you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. John 15, 13, Jesus said that. I wonder if Jesus just took on flesh so he can just make sure that we know that we're loved. So he can die and you could know beyond a shadow of a doubt. The enemy will come in and he'll say, you're not loved. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You're, you're built up. And God will say, my love for you is unconditional. I already displayed it for you. Jesus in this text calls us friends. In his compassion, his humility, his great love, he became down through the virgin birth. The Bible would say, then what can separate us from the love of God? So tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, nakedness, danger, or even a sword? No, nothing can separate us. Shall life or death, angels, rulers, or powers? Nothing can separate us from this great love, unconditional love. Not even things present or things to come or things of the past. The Bible says nothing can separate us from God's unconditional love, this agape love, and it's found in Jesus, the person of Christ, emulates who God is. We have to get it in our soul that if God is for us, who can be against us? For the Bible says, for he who died did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also, with him being so graciously, give us all things? Jesus loves us. This is the person of God. This is also in his nature. Fully God, fully man. And it's all found in Jesus Christ. This is what John is trying to teach us and this is what this virgin birth is so significant about. Hebrews 1.3, I'll close with this. We've read it before, but I think it's important he is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is our brother. He's our big brother, our example. 
And if Jesus is compassionate, if he is humble, and he is loving, we should be compassionate. We should be humble. We should be loving. Because if you want to be first in God's kingdom, you'll be last. He's showing us who the heart of God is in the kingdom of God. If we see in Jesus, we could bank on it. And what we see through the virgin birth is he lowered himself, he humbled himself, he loved so much, he had so much compassion that God elevated him, exalted him. We as his body now in the body of Christ should have so much compassion. Because Jesus said, as the Father sent me, now I sent you. We shouldn't be puffed up, proving ourselves, acting as if we have to do this, this, and this. Our righteousness is imputed through Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ. We need to be humble. And the authority and power that we have now through the power of the Spirit, we speak not only just in truth, but truth in love. For Jesus gives grace upon grace. He speaks grace and he is truth. He's made us known who the Father is and now Jesus says, now make the world know. Did you know what's crazy to me about the virgin birth? God used imperfect people to display his love. Right? Immaculate conception, we believe that Jesus, Mary is not sinless. She did see if she needed a savior. And yet, through the virgin birth, God used Mary and Joseph, imperfect people, to be a part of this plan and display the love of God to the world. God still does that today. He uses people like me and you to display his love to the world. But there is a way to do it because who you worship, who you adore, as we behold the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus, we become like him, the Bible says. We need to not only have this light, but do it in the way that he did through humility, through love, through compassion. It's an incredible doctrine. What a series. I told you there was a lot in there. I feel like I just scratched the surface. Could have read a whole book in chapter one of John. But as we learned in this little three-week sermon series, the power of God, the plan of God, and the person of God through the virgin birth, it really did show, hopefully show you that there is glory in God. And he deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And this is really what Christmas is all about. Let's pray and take communion. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace, for your goodness. Help us, Lord, in our own soul to know, Lord, that why you came, that you really, truly love. We may not even understand it, but we do know and we believe and we accept because we know following you in your word and what you say goes. And when we embrace that, Lord, we receive life, liberty, freedom, strength, authority, power. God, we want to remind ourselves and our souls that just as you came in the first advent, you will come again that we are saved by your grace. Heaven came down and you love us and you care for us. So we just bless you, God. We come to the foot of the cross once again in this Christmas season, reminding ourselves Lord, that we need your grace, that you are for us and not against us. So help us to steward this gift, this grace, I thank you, God, that 
we can receive your grace. For all who believed in you, received, believed in your name and received you, God, you gave the right to become children of God. Help us to grow in our sanctifying process and our holiness and our development, just as we saw you, Lord, from a baby to a, a teen to an adult. Let us grow in our maturity and our faith towards you. I pray, Lord, for a consecration of our church, that we would give things up, knowing, Lord, that we don't have to live for the things of the world, but we can live for you and we can celebrate salvation, the greatest gift of all, not the material things, Lord, but you, God. You are the greatest blessing. So be honored and glorified as we just sing, as we take time, as we ponder and process just who you are. Meet us in real ways. We ask this in your name. Amen.